Welcome to Seeking God's Grace podcast, a place to share stories about life, faith and passion. My name is Grace and I am a sister of the Holy Family of Nazareth, or as some prefer to say, I'm a Catholic nun. I hope that this podcast will help you and me to find God in everyday life experiences and to understand God and yourself a little bit better. Let's talk and seek God together. Well, good morning, good evening. When I look through the window, I don't really see the sunshine. It's Sunday, it's gloomy, but sunshine comes to me through the person who I'm about to speak with. Today, I'm speaking with Sally Hood. Welcome, Sally. Thank you, Sister Grace. It's great to be with you. Sally is a remarkable woman. And as we will talk with her and about her, you will be able to make the judgment for yourself. If I just read a brief of her professional career, here are the words that appear the most. Experienced speaker. Leader and youth minister with a demonstrated history of working across a number of facets of the Catholic Church. Skilled in non-profit organizations. Theology, non-for-profit management, discipleship and volunteer management. Has strong education, professional with Master of Theology, Focus on religion education from University of Newcastle. I will add into what I just read from LinkedIn a couple of more things. Engage in Catholic Women Network. Engage in Plenary Council. Mother of beautiful boys, two boys. Passionate about motherhood and ecology. Sally this is quite a lot. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's overwhelming to hear all of those things. It's a good reminder uh, of some of the different spaces that I've worked in and different seasons of my life, I guess, that God has led me into and through. And, um, yeah, I guess the season of life that I find myself in now, I don't always feel like someone who has got all of those accomplishments under my belt. I don't, um, in the sense of my day-to-day life at the moment, I don't draw upon um, some of those skills, I guess, as deeply as I may have in the past. But I think it's always insightful to look back and see where God has led us and gives you a bit of inspiration to think of where both might be in, you know, 10 years' time or what, what, what is to come, which we'll never know. That is very beautifully said. Uh, we met through Plenary Council Executive Committee, right. and that was a great privilege to share that experience with you. Mm-hmm. That's how I got to know you better. That's how I met your first boy. But ever since, you already have two children, Mm. And you are actually living in Queensland. Where do you reside? That's right. Yeah, we live in Toowoomba in Queensland, which is about an hour and a half west-ish of 
Brisbane. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. It's about to burst into bloom for spring. We're quite famous for the carnival of flowers here uh, and it's a gorgeous place to raise a family. So we moved here about three and a half years ago when we were looking to buy a house as a young family. I right away see all fantastic posts that you put, especially on Instagram, which of course can be partially visible on Facebook as well. Mm. When I see the growth of your garden, when I see your children engaged in planting, looking after the plants and harvesting whatever your garden will bring, what brought you to this part of yourself? Um, were you always passionate about the gardening? Where the idea came from? My parents loved gardening. I have fond memories. You know, we have these memories from childhood that they're often smells or sounds that are kind of seared into our memories. And sometimes they're not for logical reasons, but they're just, they're embedded. Um, and one of my memories is waking up on a Saturday morning to the sound of the lawnmower and the smell of freshly cut grass um, and the smell of sizzling bacon. And we had a beautiful childhood um, growing up outside of a regional Victorian town called Echuca. Um, and mum and dad were both keen gardeners who just learnt as they went and gardened in a very harsh environment through drought, and trying to give us, I guess, an experience of just being out, outdoors and also giving back. We, um, we planted, I'm not going to get this number right, but it was hundreds and hundreds of trees that we planted on our property as children. Uh, Mum and Dad were involved in Land Care, um, which is an organisation in Victoria. I don't think it was a particular activity of Land Care, but I think they really just did it on their own volition. So I remember doing that with my family. So I guess I was given the foundation in my childhood of being outdoors and having my hands dirty and trying new things you know it, it was often that dad would fill up the wheelbarrow with dirt and say off you go push it to where I need it <laughs> I wouldn't always get there but um, it was a beautiful childhood of being outdoors and being in nature our move to Toowoomba really gave us an opportunity to buy our family home and then it's not until often when you're renting it's quite difficult to invest in gardening you know because of both space and practicalities so buying our own family home really opened up that door for me and that coincided with the pandemic. So we moved into a, this family home of ours two weeks before that first national lockdown in March of 2020. And uh, yeah, that kind of framed the year for me. We were in this new family home uh, and I was then pregnant during that year as well. So we just had a very slow year at home and I really focused a lot of my energy on pottering around this garden with my little toddler Ananias in tow and we just learnt as we went and I think one of the best pieces of gardening advice I've ever been given is uh, a plant flourishing as well as a plant dying are equally helpful in your learning journey and I think that's so true because it's not always just about the successes it's um, often been about oh that died, what happened? Oh, I put it in the wrong spot or we watered it too much or not enough or it's not the right soil or whatever it is. And I think that helps me in my journey has helped me reflect on my own interior journey through motherhood because there's so much about 
our nature that God has planted in nature that we can reflect on and we can seek that wisdom when we can't necessarily find it in ourselves um, or when we find ourselves isolated. Um, And early motherhood plus the pandemic can be quite isolating. That's for sure. I was making little notes as you spoke and I love the fact that you connected your family decision based on great memories on your own. Uh, And I think that this um, might sound, you know, a little bit idyllic, like, oh, yes, we will have a house, we will have the garden, everything will be happily ever after. But I bet that's not the case. You just named the situation of moving in two weeks prior pandemic. Mm. So at the time when one would want the most help, help was simply not accessible. How did you all cope through it? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing to reflect on now, isn't it, post-pandemic? I think a lot of us are grappling with that, oh, you know, that realisation of, wow, what did we just experience? What did we just go through? And you're right, we moved from, to, from Brisbane to Toowoomba, so we had moved away from a very... Um, supportive, engaged community, Catholic community, to a place where we didn't know many people. So I think I think in a lot of ways the way we coped was by just focusing on the joyful, ordinary day-to-day moments, and they were things like we have a roof over our head, and you know the the joy and anticipation of buying your first home as a young family and. Um, that was wonderful. The novelty of, oh, we can, we can hang something on the wall if we want to. Um, I could paint that wall if I wanted to, you know, that just that, um, I guess the, the stewardship and the responsibility of having your own home and the garden was, was beautiful, but very overgrown. And in some ways that was quite, quite a lovely, it was quite magical, really. It, it was like a little forest for Anna and I to explore and there was birds and butterflies and insects and it was just a child's delight, really. And in some ways, I know the pandemic has been a different experience for everyone, but for us, that particularly that first lockdown was an experience of just taking a breath and slowing down and it was quite lovely. Taking a breath, slowing down. Mm. smelling the flowers, embracing motherhood. Mm. That's absolutely just a few things that comes to my mind, not only when I listen to you, but when I think of you. Mm. You are a strong advocate of motherhood. Actually, mm. that's that's uh, your name on Instagram, motherhood. Mm. And you do so much about it. Would you kindly share with us why and what do you do in this regard? Mm. I, like many women, I think, found the transition to motherhood quite startling. We, you know, we prepared ourselves. We went into the pregnancy um, with so much joy. We prepared ourselves um, a lot around advocating for a really positive birthing experience, which we, we had and which was great. But it's not until we were at home with this little baby and it just felt like our worlds had been turned upside down. And I think that experience is more common than we think. And I know that a lot of mothers feel quite isolated by expressing how 
deeply uprooting that initiation into motherhood can feel because I think we, I think we often feel like it's meant to be picture perfect, you know, this beautiful little baby and, but the reality is it's bloody, broken, bruised, sore, hurting, overwhelmed, exhausting, joyful, heart breaking and heart bursting. You know, it's, it's this incredible paradox of emotions. And now and particularly when you look at the physiological reality of what's going on, I heard a medical professional recently on Instagram say the hormonal interplay when you give birth, so the day you give birth to the next day, if you just captured what's going on with a woman's hormones in that 24 hours, it's the equivalent hormonally of a woman taking 100 contraceptive pills one day and taking zero the next day. And now, you know, that's not to condone the contraceptive pill, but it's to give an idea of the hormonal just roller coaster. It's like jumping off a hormonal cliff. And um, I really struggled through that and came out the other side with a passion for, I guess, exposing and supporting more mothers in that journey so that they felt less alone uh, and... Also, how much of your identity shifts into that season of motherhood. You know, when I was pregnant, I was working in campus ministry at ACU and I was saying to a colleague, I think I think my husband's going to be a stay-at-home dad. I'll have the baby, have a few months at home, and then I'm going to come straight back. And I just had no idea what what God had imprinted in our hearts around motherhood and just this intense beauty and connection and attachment that you have with this soul whose body, your body grew, you know, um, it's incredible. So we all have our own stories about that as well. You know, what does it mean to be a stay at home mum? What does it mean to be a working mum? Which is right, which is wrong. You know, um, there's a lot of pressure that mothers feel to choose, how they're going to be mum. And I just think that pressure can feel overwhelming um, on top of just being mum. I've been a mum now for five years and I feel like I'm only just scratching the surface, to be honest. Thank you so much for this sharing and for honesty of this sharing. I think that something what it's always probably not talked enough about, it's actually uh, the dark side of motherhood. and. Yeah. You experience this in a very painful way. And please stop me here if this is touching too much of your private life. But you suffered for years for endometriosis, mm. weren't you? And mm. that is something what, again, it's not so much of talked about. Would no. you like to share a little bit of this painful experience with us? Yeah, my journey to discover that I had endometriosis alone was quite shocking. The statistics, I'm not sure what the updated stats are for, you know, 2023, but back when I was diagnosed in 2016, the average time for a diagnosis was 10 years. And um, yeah, my, my, it took 12 years to, from the onset of my first period to when I was diagnosed was 12 years. 
you know, like what does that say about our culture and about our understanding of this disease when say one in 10 women, but that's a very conservative estimate. It's much more likely to be more than that, uh, are suffering with these debilitating symptoms and the whole body impact that that has. Having endometriosis increases your risk of autoimmune diseases, of poor gut health, of um, mental health like depression and anxiety, not to mention the yeah, the, the acute kind of symptoms that come with the disease, which is different for everyone, which makes it a very complex disease and the impact it can have on fertility for a lot of women, increasing your miscarriage rate, all of those kinds of things. It's been an interesting journey. Everyone's journey with endometriosis is different, but mine really looks like taking it day by day and seeing how I feel each day. And some days I have good days and some days I have bad days, but it definitely means I have to consistently be on top of my health and ensuring that I am as healthy as I can be. Thank you so much for this sharing. Thank you. That's important because I think sometimes people feel like they should not talk about it. I don't know why, but quite often when we talk about life of faith, we separate what is bodily from with mm. what is spiritual. Yes. And, you know, even in our chat right now, well, someone could say, excuse me, Sister Grace, this is a talk about God. Well, God is yeah. actually yeah. someone who took this body and yes. lived in that body. Yeah. And this is the cold incarnation that we celebrate <laughs> in yeah. December when we have to acknowledge that God understands our bodily pains mm. god understands our joys god understands what's going through god understands the hormones because somehow he created them yes. so <laughs> exactly so exactly. all of this is part of this beautiful journey so thank mm. you for for being honest and, and being able to talk about it from your own experience but when the mother when a woman experiences preparation for motherhood This is a journey for more than a mother and a child. There is also most likely a father, of course. We acknowledge Mm. that sometimes the woman is on her own due to life circumstances. Mm. But I heard you before we started to chat that you participate actively in couples preparing for labor. Mm. Do you like to share a little (laughs) bit about that? That sounds fantastic. Yeah, I think it it ties into what you were saying earlier about endometriosis, that we don't talk enough and don't talk openly and vulnerably enough about the realities of some of our bodily experiences. And particularly as Christians, particularly as Catholics, I would love to see more people stepping into speaking about this stuff because we are, as you said, we're a body-soul composite. It's it's a heresy to say otherwise, right? It's a heresy to say it's all just the body or it's all just the spirit. It's not where we're both and the way that God's created that is so beautiful and complicated. So my, yeah, my experience with preparing um, to birth our first son, we hired a doula and a doula is, comes from the Greek um, to, to mean a, a woman who journeys with and accompanies a woman to birth we hired a beautiful Catholic doula and she um, really opened our eyes to a lot 
of the process of the normalised kind of standardised process of, of going to a hospital and giving birth and how so many of us are conditioned to believe that birth is painful, that it is horrendous, that it is a woman lying on her back on a hospital bed with her legs up in stirrups screaming, you know, screaming bloody murder. And again, if we just take a moment to stop, to consider that image that Hollywood has sold to us. We see if you analyze, and I do, it does my husband's head in, but whenever we're watching anything that has a birth scene in it, I'm always like, oh, look at all the things. You watch any movie or TV show where a woman is depicted giving birth, nine and a half times out of 10, it's that image that I just painted. But if we just take a moment to pause and consider the way that God created us and the goodness that he created in us and the co-creation that he calls us into when we are growing a child and then preparing to birth this child. Do those images line up? You know, this beauty and goodness and truth and and the power that God has within us to create and bring life forth versus this like helpless, overwhelmed, traumatized, painful, bloody experience. They don't marry up, but this is what we're sold. This is normalized. This is what women expect when they're going into birth. And it frustrates me because this is a rite of passage into motherhood and particularly from maiden to mother. So from a woman who hasn't had a baby to a woman who has, that rite of passage is enormous. And if you look at the way that various cultures celebrate that rite of passage and the way that they have protected that rite of passage across millennia, they, they place an incredible amount of focus and importance on, on this process because it is important. It is powerful. It is amazing. But in our Western society, we don't. We, we just say, pack your hospital bag, go in there, get an epidural, good luck. You know, I had a woman say to me after church one day when I was about 38 weeks pregnant, she was saying, you know, what, where are you going to give birth? What are your plans? And I said to her, well, we've hired a doula and I've, we've done lots of preparation and, and research and we feel really empowered to have a, a natural drug-free labor. I'm, I'm hoping to have a water birth. That's what I um, said to her. And the look on her face, was, she was horrified that I, that I was wanting to, first of all, give birth in water. And secondly, to think that I could give birth without pain relief. And she said to me, she looked me in the eye, Sister Grace, and she said to me, you know, not taking the drugs doesn't make you a hero. (laughs) You don't get a medal um, for pushing a baby out with no epidural. Babe, just take the epidural. And you know me well enough, Sister Grace, to know that I'm not one to, uh, (laughs) to back down. And I just looked her back in the eyes and said, well, we won't be doing that. It's not our plan. It's not the way that I believe God has created um, our bodies to, to give birth. And thanks for your opinion, but I'll see you, see you next week and see how I go. And look, that's not to say that our medical system isn't there for women who do have complications. There are complications that arise during labour that do require pain relief, medication, surgical intervention. All of those things are good because, again, God has helped us create these things. But... The vast majority of women don't need 
these things. The vast majority of women need a supportive, loving village of women to come around them and say, you can do this. This can be an amazing experience. Your body has been created to do this. When we stop and think about the miracle that it is that our bodies can create life, that our bodies can birth life, it's it's awe-inspiring. And I would love to see more of us taking that message into our communities and encouraging these young women who are going into this space of motherhood to think a bit more critically about how they want to give birth. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. You know, I, I think what I really value in this conversation is the fact that we acknowledge that life of any human being, including Catholics, because we are having this Catholic conversation here, needs to be realistic. Yeah. And the realistic approach is life function in our life as mothers, fathers, brothers, name it, whatever vocation of life you have chosen and you live by, it's full of joys, it's full of pain. Yeah. It's full of growth, it's full of loss. Mm. It's full of anticipation to something amazing and experiencing yeah. something different at the same time. Yeah. Because that's actually the color of life that we can expect or not expect because in our life there is more unexpected than expected and you even said this yourself you said you were thinking that you will be you know uh, a mother returning back to work while your husband will be staying at home that which again has not happened so I, I presume that your involvement with the couples preparing for labor was a little bit of this sentiment of saying I want to be there for someone because mm. maybe I can contribute to your experience. Would that be right? Mm. Absolutely. You know, I just walked a young couple in New South Wales through the birth of their second child. And I, I met with them prior to them even conceiving Kim all the way through their pregnancy um, journeyed with them virtually through the labor and am now supporting them in their postpartum journey. And that experience for them has been incredibly redemptive. She had a VBAC, which is a vaginal birth after a cesarean, which she had had with her first child. And they wanted, having had such a traumatic first birth experience, they, they really wanted to take responsibility and ownership and have some autonomy over their birthing experience the second time around. And it has been the most rewarding journey to be on with them, to see the growth that they've both gone through, to see what they have been able to reflect on, um, where they've been willing to step up and, um, and make, like you said, life is full of choice and we have to be in the driver's seat. I really believe that God calls us to, to have autonomy in some of these places because they are powerful, sacred spaces and yeah it's a it's a beautiful way to give back it's a beautiful way to support a, a positive experience for a couple and I was just I met with them a few weeks ago and you know they've got their little baby and their toddler and they're just beaming because they feel so empowered about this birth experience that they had and I was saying to them I truly believe that the fruits of this labor 
and the whole journey will flow on into their family life. You know, that it's a, it's such a positive experience that it empowers the, the dad to be that beautiful masculine and it, and it empowers the mother to be in that beautiful feminine and it empowers the couple to be in that beautiful complementary way that God created us to be, not to be in isolation, not to be living out of fear, but to be in this complementary way that he has united the, the vocation of marriage. And from that flows the fruit, which is not just the children, but it's the joy and the love and the trust and the surrender and all of these gifts that you learn from this process. I'm just reflecting on the fact that today it's the end of the vocation week, mm. vocation awareness week here in Australia. And I'm actually very, very happy that we can talk about vocation of marriage because the reality is that most of the people would choose married life mm. and the other vocations to priesthood, religious life, single life will be probably a little bit less common, especially these days. Mm. But what I heard through your sharing was a lot of words that will bring me awareness, preparation and intentionality. It really surprised me that someone in this era could start thinking about before I will conceive this child, I'm going to start to be prepared about this. How, how uncommon yeah. is that? I know, I know. But how wonderful and how inspiring, you know, to see a young couple who have the um, self-reflective ability to sit with an experience and to reflect on and pray about that experience and really seek God's voice of where do you want us to go with this? What changes do you want me to make? A couple of years ago, you have given an interview to the Catholic Leader, which is, the, of course, the magazine of um, Archdiocese of Brisbane. Mm. And you said these words, I see a lot of very well-formed very well-trained young Catholics wanting to serve the church and potentially wanting to work for the church for the rest of their lives. But then there is no being many avenues for them to move into. Mm. I quote those words because I hear through your sharing a non-typical, rare vocation of being a person of faith person of God and living your vocation. Do you think that there is enough Catholics or not enough Catholics who can join you and say yes for motherhood, yes for marriage, <laughs> yes for family life? What's your view on, that, view on that? No, look, I think there are lots of wonderful Catholics who are champions in this space and I've really been inspired by so many of them that have gone ahead of me and who have not necessarily formally mentored me, but who have, I guess, led the way and shared their gifts and their knowledge and their understanding with younger mothers who are a few steps behind them on the journey. And the fruit of it is, I guess, where I find myself in my own motherhood now, and I'm so grateful for that. But I do believe there are lots of great champions for marriage and lots of great champions for motherhood in the church. I just think we need I still think we need to do better as a church around the ways that we support structurally and personally uh, families 
and motherhood, you know, even just the designs of our churches, even in the ways that we support and promote breastfeeding mothers. I went to a church recently and there's no change table in the in the bathroom. It's these little things that make a huge impact on a young mother who is exhausted and overwhelmed but has made her way to mass with her baby. You know, it is such a huge thing to get yourself dressed, get your baby dressed. <laughs> hopefully get yourselves fed and get out the door to mass on time, not covered in baby vomit. You know, it's nothing short of a miracle. And then to get there and for there not to be a change table, for there to be not necessarily a supportive environment to breastfeed your baby. Because guess what? The baby doesn't know whether or not the homilies being <laughs> spoken and they don't really care. They just want to be fed and they need to be changed when they need to be changed. And even extending past that intense early season of motherhood, when we look at little toddlers and I've got two boys who are so beautiful but Sister Grace they do not sit down they really don't and <laughs> just even looking structurally at our church of how do we support young couples to come here and feel like they're able to be a part of this community um, you know I look at our Protestant brothers and sisters and they have incredible children's ministries and incredible um, spaces to support and involve children and families. And then I look at our churches that are beautiful and sacred spaces, but I do think we're lacking. It's not always to point the finger at higher up and say, oh, it's because we need this, this and this. It's more about the groundswell of the community saying, yeah, this is a need and I do want to support that. Yeah, I think slowly but surely, hopefully, we'll start to see some of those changes. You brought uh, many memories in my head as you were speaking. Once upon a time, some years ago, I worked in one of the parishes where the pastor uh, showed, in my opinion, one of the most welcoming attitudes to the parents with their children. If they will be a child making noise in the middle of the mass mm -hmm. and he will be you know, having the most beautiful sermon, he will stop, he will wave and he will say, Isn't it great that we have children in our church? Absolutely. If we will not have this noise, there will be no future of our church. Absolutely. And then, you know, there will be less judgmental talks, smile of the mother face, mm -hmm. and really an attitude of welcoming, welcoming yeah. those couples into the church. So that was one example. And another which I want to bring to this story, you said support of community. Mm -hmm. I think it's extremely important. Again, in one of the parishes where I used to work, uh, there was a woman, a great friend, well, not a stranger in this era of, you know, safeguarding children, we always have to have precautions. Mm -hmm. But there was a neighbor who would attend the church where this one mother with children was. Mm -hmm. And during the homily, um, during the mass, she would say to this mother, please sit here, i will take care of children and she will be in the proximity where the mother sees her interaction with the children and she would say you work whole week so hard this is probably your one and only 45 minutes when you sit down so i will beautiful. take care of your child oh, you know it almost brings me to tears honestly like the gift that that would be for a mother <laughs> to be able to sit and to actually be fully present and attentive and listening and being able to pray without your children climbing all over you. You know, it's, it's that exactly that sister grace. It's the reclaiming of the village of 
people coming around these young families and saying, you know, what, what can we do? How can we support you? And not just in a tokenistic way, but in a lived way of really getting to know these people so that, yeah, the children can, they can be nearby, but they feel comfortable going and doing some colouring in or reading a book quietly or doing something. That's that's this organic groundswell of the community where it doesn't have to be, it doesn't always have to be a program or a structure or have to have funding. It really often is people in the pews who might be in a different season of life where they're, they're not, you know, in the intense season of motherhood where, and they can lend a hand. They can remember what it was like and, and, and help. It's, that's beautiful. I love that story. Thank you for your stories. I'm looking at the clock and thinking that your three musketeers or beautiful <laughs> boys probably will be back from the park soon. Yes. So let's get ready for it. Any final words for beautiful Sally about motherhood, about being a wife, about marriage life, about being Catholic or just about anything at all? What would you like to leave our listeners with? There's a quote that our doula, when I was pregnant with my first son, gave to us, and it's always stuck with me. It's from a woman uh, named Ina Mae Gaskin. She's American, an American midwife. And she says, remember this, for it is as true as true gets. Your body is not a lemon. You are not a machine. The creator, our God, is not a careless mechanic. Human female bodies have the same potential to give birth well, just like aardvarks, lions, rhinoceri, elephants, moose, and water buffalo. Even if it has not been your habit throughout your life so far, I recommend that you learn to think positively about your body. And I think it's just beautiful it's also a little bit funny because it's not until we compare ourselves to some of those animals and you think oh yeah if an elephant's able to go and give birth undisturbed in the wild <laughs> then you know it helps us remember that while we are not animals we are we are made to do this we are made to to birth and bring life into the world and for those of us that are gifted with the ability to do that by god it is a gift to steward and to shepherd well and to take that responsibility and to yeah press into what comes up for for each woman thank you so much sally what a treat on sunday afternoon to talk to you about all these beautiful things that um well i actually will not experience much as a reader sister but that's okay I can be still of support of people like yourself and yeah. I am grateful for your support to all the other couples. So thank mm-hmm. you so much for your time. In the description of this episode, I will also place some link to the essential oils, which we didn't talk about, but you are a supporter of them. And I know this is part of your little business. I hope that maybe there will be a moment when people will be able to reach out to you and say through the Instagram or through any other means of social media, you know what, I had this talk with you. I had this chat. Can we chat further? Yeah, that would be beautiful. I would love that. Thank you so much. Please, big hugs to all your three men. 
as they will come back from the park. (laughs) And it was a pleasure to talk to you today. Mm, It really was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Sister Grace. Lovely to see you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will tune in again. Please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave your review. Feel welcome to visit my website, seekinggodsgrace.com and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again. Every blessing to you and your loved ones. Talk again soon.